Good morning and welcome to Trinity. It is a joy to be with you this morning as we kick off our Advent season. Our theme this year is on peace. His peace will never end. Seems like a timely, every time we get to Advent, whatever that theme might be, it feels timely. And especially so uh, this year, the theme of peace. We're going to begin our series It may be one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in the Old Testament, found in Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. We're going to read verses 22 through 27. Let's hear the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. God, as we come to your word this morning, as we begin our series uh, focused on peace, we Pray that you would indeed pour out your peace upon our hearts. May it dwell richly in us. Would you be with us now as we attend to your word, as we come to it and put our heads and our hearts on it? We ask this for your glory and for our good, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. What does it mean to have peace? What is that? Peace. I can think of three ideas of peace, or three ways in which I can think of peace. The first being no more conflict, whether that's personal or relational or national uh, absence of conflict. It's a war-free zone, if you will. Secondly, I can think of peace as a calm confidence, a strong foundation For all of life's storms, that no matter what might be happening, it's not greater than that which we're holding on to. And therefore, it gives us a calm confidence. I can think of peace in a third way, and that is a comforted heart. Care or balm for the soul in times of hurt or loss or grief or pain. No more conflict. A calm confidence. A comforted heart. The more I think on peace, the thing about peace, at least from our perspective of, or experience with, or longing for, is that peace implies conflict or difficulty to have been our context and circumstance. It doesn't take a PhD in psychology or political science to understand that our current culture and world is flooded with all sorts of conflicts. Mental and emotional health concerns and needs are skyrocketing well beyond the availability of those trained to help. Refugees from war-torn places are fleeing, totally displaced from their homes, most likely to never return again, having lost loved ones along the way. 
There's the mounting pressure of everyday life in which each week ends in exhaustion with very little bandwidth left to evaluate whether all the things in your calendar should have been there as you scroll through your favorite streaming service. There's the low-grade grief that hums underneath the noise of your life, the loss of a loved one, the end of or longing hope for a relationship, the dying of a dream, health issues that radically change your lifestyle. My suspicion is that many, if not most or all of us, long for peace more than we can say that we have the experience of peace. Well, we have some good news for those who are here longing for peace. God talks a lot about our peace. The Bible speaks a lot about peace. And when God's word speaks about peace, it speaks about it in this way. Peace, from God's perspective and God's purpose, peace is the enjoyment of complete and permanent well-being. I'll say it again. Peace is the enjoyment of complete and permanent well-being. That statement includes all the ideas of peace already mentioned. No more conflict, a calm confidence, a comforted heart. But looking at that statement, you could shorten it all the way down to just that. Peace is well-being. And you would be absolutely correct to be able to say it that way. Now, well-being may not seem like that big of a deal. But when God purposefully moves to bring about our well-being... Well, he's doing so in such a way that brings all the rest of the words of that biblical definition of peace. Like this. God's pursuit of our well-being is something we will enjoy. And God's pursuit of our well-being is completely provided. And God's pursuit of our well-being is so complete in its provision that it's forever permanent. So all three descriptors between peace and well-being, the enjoyment of complete and permanent, they do something very important. They tell us something about God. They tell us something about his grace. They tell us something about his mercy. They tell us something about his care for us. This Advent season, we will set our sights and our hearts on God's pursuit of our well-being. Being That God promises and provides a peace that will bring about a complete and permanent enjoyment of no more conflict, of a lasting confidence, and of a forever comfort. No other passage of scripture speaks of such a peace as ours does this morning. As we consider this famous benediction from the Bible that Aaron was to give to the people of Israel... My hope is that we will see it in the scope of all of Scripture as the advent of peace. And here at the very basic level, at the foundational level, what we find in the advent of peace is that the Lord promises peace. And secondly, the Lord provides peace. 
He promises peace. We are to anticipate this peace, the enjoyment of a complete and forever permanent well-being. And as the pages of Scripture unfold and culminate in the person and work of Christ, we see the Lord's provision of peace. So let's take into account these things this morning. First, the Lord promises peace. There's something very important that we need to to get around in our heads and our hearts is the context in which this promise comes. Because we find that the Lord promises peace, it comes in the wilderness. That's very important to see where this promise comes. It comes in the wilderness. In the wilderness, that little phrase happens to be the way that the Jewish scriptures name the book of Numbers. They call it in the wilderness. It speaks to a physical wilderness, but also a spiritual one, too. The book of Numbers, you may not be super familiar with it. There's a good chance in your Bible reading plan you've bowed out once you hit Numbers. But the book of Numbers is in the context of post-Egypt. The people of God have left Egypt, but they're not in the promised land. So it's pre-promised land. It's after Egypt, before the promised land, a literal wilderness. The book of Numbers covers two generations. And in so doing, exposes the spiritual wilderness. In Numbers 1 through 25, chapters 1 through 25, the main focus is on the first generation. The ones who did not make it into the promised land. They got out of Egypt. They saw God lead them out of Egypt in pretty amazing and miraculous ways. Yet it was their unbelief that had derailed them. They did not get into the promised land. Then the main focus of Numbers 26 through 36 cover the second generation. The ones going into the promised land. They responded to God with faith. That's the context here. And as you notice, we're in number six, which is the primary context dealing with the physical and spiritual wilderness of God's people. And yet here comes this promise of peace. The promise of the enjoyment of a complete and permanent well-being. And in so doing, we see God's gracious intentions on full display. That it comes in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Our hope in the wilderness. The wilderness of sin. The wilderness of suffering. The wilderness of shame. Our hope in the wilderness of doubt or despair or defeat. Is found in the God who promises and provides. Perhaps in this room. There are some of us in here who are struggling in the wilderness of our anger. We're angry that life has not gone the way that we thought it would. We didn't get that job or that relationship or that good health or that we find obstacles always seem to be abounding at every turn. That life has just been genuinely and routinely difficult and it leaves us angry. Whereas if wandering in a wilderness of our anger. And there might be some of us in here in this room this morning. Perhaps we're not necessarily struggling in this wilderness of anger. Rather, we're struggling in the wilderness of our anxiety. We're anxious over things that were. Over things that are. 
or things that could be. We have past hurts that fuel present worries. We swing from obsessive thoughts to debilitating despair. We feel the weight of something we can't see, let alone fix. And it feels like we're in a wilderness. Or maybe there's some of us in here, not necessarily in a wilderness of anger or anxiety, but rather in the wilderness of apathy. Apathy. An apathy fueled by unbelief because life doesn't seem to get any easier or better. So for our own self-preservation, it's a whole lot easier to not care. Anger, anxiety, apathy are real. These are real struggles. You're not crazy to be in any one of those wildernesses. But you don't have to be alone. And I don't know what the exact pathway out of the wilderness is for you, but I want to encourage you with something here in this God who promises and provides peace. I want to encourage you with the the scope and the sweetness of these words that we have here in number six. So the Lord promises peace. And that promise comes in the wilderness. And it comes also because of his grace. Because of his grace. The fact that this promise comes in this portion of numbers is, is sneakily highlighting the grace of God. There's a second title the Jewish scriptures use for numbers, and that is, And the Lord said. That in spite of the wilderness, both physical and spiritual, the Lord said, the Lord promised, the Lord promised, the Lord promised, highlighting that grace. Let's consider what we see here in what the Lord has said because of his grace. Look again back at verses 24 and 26, the real kernel of this Aaron benediction that the priest was to give to the people of God. Note that it is. Aaron is just reciting the words that the Lord is saying. And what are those words? Verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's consider three things. Just first, just broadly about what we're reading here in this promise that God makes about our peace. First of all, it comes to us as a poem. Maybe in your, your English translation, it's indented and set up in such a way to, to not look like a paragraph. It's because in the original language, it's written as if it were a poem. Now, I joked already earlier that you probably bailed in your Bible reading plan sometime in February when you hit, you know, the numbers. And there are a lot of them, and there are names, and they go on for chapters. And as you know, that numbers contains a lot of narrative and a lot of law And yet, here, at the heart of God's promise, is a poem. Please don't skip over that. God is not simply speaking to your heads. He's speaking to your hearts. That's why you use a poem. He's not trying to convince you of of some sort of argument or tell you a story. 
He wants your angry, anxious, apathetic heart know that his promise is to bring you a complete and permanent well-being that you will enjoy forever. It is a poem. Secondly, we find in this poem three uses of God's super important emphatic name, Yahweh. You find it there in your translation. Uh, the, the word Lord is in all capitalizations. It's, it's, it's there three times emphatically directing our attention to the nature and to the character of God. God is the one speaking this blessing of peace, this promise of peace to his people in the wilderness. Not an emissary. These aren't someone else's words. They're God's words. And he emphasizes that in the three uses of his name. And thirdly, about this poem, if you were to just take those three uses of Yahweh out of the poem, it's just 12 words in the Hebrew. 12 words. That's all it is. And it's symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. But really, in light of all of Scripture, it's symbolic of all of God's people. All of God's people. These three features all communicate to us that God is gracious. Just like he said he is. Remember Moses heard that from God directly. In Exodus 34, verse 6, what did God say of himself? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And here the people of God are in a physical and spiritual wilderness and God is remaining true to his word. True to his character, true to his nature. As broadly as we consider this poem This promise of peace. What does it entail? Well, first of all, this poem, this promise of peace, underscores God's pursuit of our well-being. It underscores God's pursuit of our well-being. God says that he will bless. To bless simply means to give good. To give good. And our whole little section here begins and ends with God promising to bless. In verse 24, what does it start with? The Lord bless you. And then at the closing words, in verse 27, which we didn't reread, but we can see here, in the very closing words, he reminds them again, and I will bless them. Again, this promise entails God's pursuit of our well-being. And in between the pursuit, the, the, the pursuit to bless us, we find three parallel thoughts, all highlighting and nuancing God's pursuit of our well-being. Look at verse 24. To bless, the Lord bless you and keep you. Two thoughts, bless you and keep you. They, they're both getting at the same thing, but from different angles. What kind of blessing of you? The keeping you kind of blessing. That means to preserve and to protect. So God is promising the context of peace in which you will be preserved and protected. Look at verse 25. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. What does it mean to have his face to shine upon us? Well, it means 
God is saying, I have a gracious pursuit of you. I'm looking to you to be gracious to you. And look at the third parallel thought in verse 26. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Very literally, countenance here can mean with great adhering, affectionate description of the smiling face of God upon you. The smiling face of God on you. The gaze of God on your life. He can see through everything. There's no wall you can put up around your heart. There's no closet in your heart that you can bury all the ugly stuff, the dark stuff. He can see it all. And when he looks upon you because of his gracious pursuit of you and your well-being, he looks upon you with a divine, heavenly Father smile. Now, God gives these gracious words despite his people's constant and many failings. And maybe you feel like you can relate very much to that first generation in numbers where you can look at your own life and know your own heart honestly and truly and say, I know my constant and many failings. And then you come to these words, this poem of promise, of peace. And it certainly counters our notions of God. Because when you know your constant and many failings, you would assume that God would be angry with us, doesn't like us, or is somehow obligated to put up with us. And yet it is his smiling face upon us. Now, this doesn't mean that God is cool with us living in any way we want. That ignores or rejects or assumes his grace. He certainly doesn't want to do that. And God will indeed correct us. But that correction is because God is graciously pursuing our well-being. I know that we can all experience various kinds of conflict in our lives. And very much so in our souls and in our hearts and in our minds. And it can be very complicated and can require specific kinds of care and help. But among the kinds of care is the truth of something that lasts longer than the conflicts that we face, even if those conflicts fill all of our days. And the thing that lasts longer is greater than those conflicts, though complicated they may be, is the smiling, gracious pursuit of our God for our well-being. Your heart wants to believe otherwise because the world around you is harsh. Remind yourself of what God himself has said here. My hope for you, for all of us, is not to ignore or reject or neglect the smiling face of God upon us. This is his promise. And this promise meets provision in the pages of scripture and in a moment in history and in time. The Lord provides peace. And Advent is the arrival of that peace. 
The peace that we see here in number six isn't fully realized until the Advent season comes. The Advent is the arrival of peace. The word Advent simply means arrival. And with the arrival of Jesus comes the means of complete and permanent well-being. The arrival of Jesus is the arrival of the fulfilling moment of this promise that is so rich, so dear, and so near to our hearts. Think about it in Luke chapter 1. In anticipating the arrival of Christ, some very interesting things were spoken about a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was born just before Jesus and would have a very important ministry in his life. He was sort of the bridge between the Old Testament into the New Testament. He was very much like an Old Testament prophet, but he was on he was the last one if you will, or the first one of the New Testament. He was the the link of all of those promises of the old are now coming to fruition and and he was declaring that that was his role, that was his job, his ministry. At his birth, his father gave words, uh, prophetic words of, of what his ministry would be entailed with. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79, consider these words that his father said at his birth. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. At John's birth, his dad spoke these words. God is intent to fulfill his promises. And his promise is that of our well-being, of our peace. And John the Baptist's ministry was going to be guiding our hearts into the way of peace. His ministry is the means of peace is arriving. Prepare your hearts. And then, in sort of capping that section, Luke 180 says this of John the Baptist. Note these important descriptions of where he is doing this. Prepare. It's here. The arrival of our peace is here. Note where he's doing this work. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance of Israel. John's ministry was out in the wilderness, speaking to those in spiritual wilderness that the means of peace is arriving. Our hope of the enjoyment of complete and permanent well-being, our hope of that is fixed and tied to the arrival of Christ. Jesus. And his arrival is the, comes with the heavenly announcement that peace is now here. I mean, we know these words well, don't we? Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying what? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Note the initial announcement, glory to God, peace on earth. That's the nature and scope of God's grace. That's his promise being provided for, reaching its fulfillment. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise of our well-being in given in numbers. He puts skin and bones on those promised words in number six. He does what we could not do to give what we could not gain. And what he does and what he gives is complete. It's permanent and it leads to our forever joy. And it is through Jesus that we are brought into the smiling face of God. And so... I say once again, do not ignore, do not reject, do not neglect what God has provided for in terms of our well-being. Some of us in here may hear these words and just simply ignore it. It's familiar words and it's easy to go one ear out the other. And we miss the the scope and the sweetness of what God has promised and provided for in Jesus. Some of us in here may reject this. We just have a hardened heart. We don't believe it. We don't care. Maybe a little bit of both. And, And so we just simply let it pass by, not wanting it at all in our lives. And some of us in here have experienced this peace, have come to see Christ as Savior, but have spent many a days or weeks or months or years neglecting the smiling face of God, maybe believing things not true of God, that he is angry or tired of you or obligated to deal with you. And so I would encourage you, if that describes you, any one of those describes you, and take this moment now, even now, in this moment now, to receive. Just like in Aaron's day, the high priest of God's Old Testament people pronouncing this benediction to them. Their role in the whole process was to receive. Receive the tender mercy of our God. Receive his gracious pursuit. Of your well-being. Believe. That God has done that fully. Finally. And with forever joy. In the person and work of Christ. No matter the conflicts you face. Or the confidence and comfort you long for. There is someone greater than those conflicts. And those longings. Who brings complete And permanent well-being. As we explore further in our Advent season. How Jesus brings us into such peace. I pray that your hearts receive this hope. God is on a gracious pursuit. Of your complete and forever well-being. Let's pray. God we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. And the grace, we thank you that here you have declared and your promise to pursue the enjoyment of a complete and permanent well-being of your people. And while I know that there are many of us in here who would say, I don't feel all that well in my being. I pray that in 
this moment now and in the days ahead as we consider your work for our peace, that we would experience it just a little bit more. That we would experience your tender mercy for our well-being. That we would experience your gracious pursuit for our well-being and that our hearts would not give over to ignoring or rejecting or neglecting something so vast, so rich, so free, so forever. And may we find you to be the ultimate source of our well-being and may we find courage to pursue the care from others along the way. Now, would you do this to your glory and to our good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing one last wonderful Christmas song.